Welcome back to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, everyone. I'm Ross Thorburn, and on today's episode, my guest, Matt Courtois, and I are talking about managing behavior with young learners and how to do that positively. You'll hear Matt and I talking about some of the dangers of punishing students, talk about how to set rules. We'll discuss how to stop students getting bored in class. And finally, when behavior problems do occur, how to stop them spiraling out of control. Enjoy the episode. Courtois, welcome back. It's my pleasure, Ross. Great. So today we're talking about managing students' behavior. I've got to say, I think this is such an important topic. And so often when I do training with teachers, this comes up as a one of teachers' biggest challenges. And yet I feel it's something that rarely gets talked about or included in, in teacher training. Oh, I've done surveys asking teachers what training they would like in the future. And working with kids, it's always the number one request is, is managing students' behavior. And I feel with this, if you don't do it at all, then you can't really get anything done in class. And if you do it in a way that's not positive, then it kind of sort of affects students' motivation so much they don't want to come back to class. So I, feel, I feel it's so important and it's such an important thing to get right. Kids can sense the fear and the and, and like whenever you're, you're punishments and you're so focused on punishments, they can sense that that's coming from a place of fear. I think with all this stuff, you want to focus on solving problems, not punishing people. And I mm. feel in the classroom that the problem with punishing students is you're then going to create this negative relationship between you, the teacher, and the student. And that's something you want to really avoid at all, all costs. Yeah, because your rules for behavior in the classroom are there in order to make sure students can have an engaging lesson. And if your rules have such strict punishments attached to them, you lose sight of the, the point. The original point is to keep them engaged. And, and they're no longer engaged, right? They're just avoiding trying to punishment. avoid <laughs> avoiding punishment rather than actively being involved with, with uh, learning English. So a quick example of this, something that I often see in classes is students talking to the person next to them when they're not meant to. Teachers will call out those students or punish them or remove points from their team or whatever, where a good teacher might just do something to engage those students, like do some sort of a refocusing activity, or you could call out different students' names and then they have to swap seats really quickly. And you do something like that, right? So you're you're solving this problem of these two students talking, but you're doing it in a way almost where the students might not even notice that that's what you're doing. And you're just trying to solve the problem instead of getting to this thing of punishing people for not doing what you want them to do. I think you need rules, though. Like every teacher knows, like when you're teaching young learners, if you have that one student who's always acting out, it can be contagious, mm. you know? And and, and and you can pretty quickly lose control of, of the class. So it's good to have like some rules set that everyone's aware of and what's expected of their behavior. Also, if the students are the ones to come up with the rules, they're a lot more likely to follow them. And so, like, I've seen teachers who dedicate their first lesson to planning out the rules, right? And, and saying, like, what, let's, let's agree upon our five rules. And then the kids can make a poster and hang it up at the front of the room. And you spend, you spend a minute at the beginning of lessons reminding them of the rules that they came up with. I've done something similar also with higher level students where you get them to think about the classroom rules from different perspectives. So you say, 
from the teacher's point of view, what, what do you think I would want the rules to be in the class? And then what do you think your parents care about for the mm. class, right? Write some ideas for what they think the rules should be. And then pick another one, maybe like the, the school owner. And then for yourselves, what do you think? Yeah, what are your classmates? What are your right. classmates? Right, yeah, what, what do other people in the class want? And then you get into this nice critical thinking activity from different points of view. And then, yeah, you can get students to make their own rules and groups. And also I like with that, sometimes what I've done when students misbehave is you can say, I want you to go over and look at your poster that you made and tell me, which of those things are you not doing mm. at the moment? And then ultimately what we're doing here is we're handing more responsibility over to the students. So I think in general, if you give people, I think this is true for employees and trainees and for students, if you give a bit more control and responsibility when it's appropriate, then usually that results in more of a sense of belonging and that person being more willing to kind of cooperate and, and be invested in the whole learning process. I think you can also take your, your poster that they make at the beginning of the course, like one more step, right? And say like, if one of these things breaks down, what should happen? And, and again, students can come up with this, right? And so like, if, if a student is speaking in Chinese, it's just like a reminder from another classmate, like to try to speak English. Or you ask the teacher, how can I say this in English? Or whatever it is, you know, like, and, and, and you have to, and they're going to say the rules in a negative way, right? Like, don't talk, don't run, don't speak Chinese, don't mm -hmm. do this, right? And you have to guide them into switching it to positive language. It's a bit of an English lesson as well. Absolutely. And I think the opposite is also useful to talk to students about, not just who is not doing these things, but also who is doing these things. So at the end of class, you could say to students, all right, these are the rules. Can you tell me someone who did one of these things in class? Oh, mm -hmm. yes. You know, Matt, listen to other people. Or, yeah, so-and-so. Wow. -so. <laughs> probably not. You probably talk too much yeah. <laughs> or too loudly. Yeah, I never, I never got that feedback. <laughs> I think with this as well, it's really important that when teachers are sort of reinforcing rules that they focus on the positives instead of focusing on the negatives. I think children generally see attention from the teacher as something that they want. And very often what happens in class is kids learn, if I misbehave, this teacher will give me attention. And I think teachers need to flip that around and give attention to the kids who are behaving. So let's just say you've got a class, you've got 10 students and two or three students who are not listening or not paying attention. I would say as the teacher, who's listening? Look at the students who are listening and then give them a high five or, or whatever your reward system is. Do something to reward those students instead of saying hey jimmy jimmy hey jimmy pay attention pay attention yeah whoever you put the spotlight on more is going to influence the other students in the class it's a matter of where do you want to shine your spotlight to the, the student who's behaving well or the student who's who's having some behavioral issues but i do i do want to ask when like your example of yeah. jimmy when jimmy <laughs> is acting up like do you just ignore him if the student is not interrupting everyone else's learning, I would probably just keep going. And the rationale is this. Let's say we've got 10 students and there's one kid not paying attention, right? And nine of them are. So we've got 90% of the class are learning. If I stop everyone and then concentrate on this one student who's not paying attention, it's gone from 90% of people learning down to zero, right? And mm. everyone's just waiting on me to talk to Jimmy. And I, I don't think that's a good return on investment, right? So I, I think eventually, long term, I would probably try and 
do something or figure out a way of getting Jimmy engaged in the class. But I think I wouldn't stop everything just to bring this one person into the fold. Unless they're doing something dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you can do in that moment? Like, I've seen some teachers who will just walk up and stand next to Jimmy. And then he tends to not act up whenever there's that authority figure right next to him. With younger students, what I would do is if I could feel the attention of the class drifting, I would usually sing a little song with actions. And that I find often for maybe three to six-year-olds, that's something that gets the student's attention back. And again, that's something also that's using English to get their attention. So everyone's learning something. Everyone's practicing English. It's not like stopping the class. And then we have this moment of boredom because we've not really talked about this so far, but I, I feel boredom is one of the main reasons why students misbehave. And again, if you're stopping the class to deal with every little infringement that happens, then people are going to be more bored than they were. And that's ultimately going to lead to more negative behavior. And and hopefully in your lessons, right, like, you know, a lot of the time students are going to be doing interactive discussions and activities with each other. And so when Jimmy acts up, sorry to keep picking on Jimmy, (laughs) but when Jimmy acts up, you can go over there without disrupting everybody else and have a quiet word with him that no one else notices. A lot of teachers are worried that if you do lots of pair work or group work with younger kids... It's not going to work for a lot of them, or they won't be speaking English. And I think what teachers often do instead is they get students to do these activities in pairs at the front, and everyone else is just waiting around doing nothing. And when that happens, Mm. of course, most of the students are not speaking English, they're not learning anything, and they're bored. And and I think that's when you get a lot of these problems. Yeah, when you pull those two students up to the front of the classroom, Mm. and they perform a dialogue, and then they finish, and you say, good job, send them back to the... Their seats, and you pull up the next pair, and you say, "Okay, now you do the same dialogue." Each student then is probably out of out of twenty minutes. Each individual student is only speaking for half a minute, and so it is boring. So I think that's a good example of an activity where most teachers would think about it as a two people speaking activity. But if your class has ten students, then it's really an eight people listening mm. activity. So I feel for all these things, teachers need to also think of ways to get everyone else in the class involved. Let's say you do want everyone to do this dialogue at the front. There has to be some reason for everyone else to listen. It could be like you get the students to pick an adjective out of the, or an adverb out of the hat. We're going to do this dialogue sadly or happily or angrily. Mm. And then we do it like that. And everyone else ha- afterwards has to guess what the emotion was when this was going on. But I think the key thing there is that you need something for the audience to be doing otherwise yeah they're, they're just going to be bored and that, that's when problems start it's like i've noticed we've been almost talking about task design a little bit right and <laughs> yeah, personalization yeah. and sort of these other categories of teaching as you're teaching it's easy to look at these different categories as boxes to tick now's my personalization part mm-hmm. now's my task design but but it's not that way they all tie together right and i think it affects their behavior mm-hmm. you know and so the cause of the behavior problems in your lesson they're probably not because you didn't set up the rules correctly they're probably because something else in your lesson isn't quite going as well as it should right it's too boring or it's too difficult i think you have to look at your lesson holistically and and, and i mean there are ways of dealing with the problems once they happen with your behavior management rules and stuff 
and 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 what happens if they break the rules, the consequences, right? You can set all that stuff up, but you really should sit back and reflect and think, why did that happen? And it's generally because something else in the class went wrong. What you just said there, I think, is really interesting, this idea that there are almost two types of behavior management. You've got your proactive things, which are talking to the students about the rules, getting the students to decide on what they should and shouldn't do in class, making sure you have interesting activities, etc., etc. But then there's also this reactive part, which is because we know students are not going to be perfectly behaved. Even the best teacher in the world is not going to have all students paying attention all the time. So you need to have some strategies for getting students' attention back. And when there is some kind of a problem that you make sure that doesn't escalate. A lot of teachers, whenever they have their nightmare group of students that are always acting up, I think it's their first reaction to become the police. Mm. Right? And, And I don't think that's correct. If you have a badly behaved group of, of students and then you come in as a voice of authority, they're going to rebel against you even more. And so I think as a teacher, you try to adjust it from being um, an enforcer to more of a supporter. One really simple thing that helps with that is just sitting down. I see a lot of teachers standing up when they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And if you're three years old and you're sitting down and there's someone who's well, six foot tall above you, that person is like four times your height. It's like a giant. If you're not sure about this, then just get a colleague to stand up and you can talk to them while sitting down. And it feels very weird. It feels like you're you're in a position of no power. It's like a certain world leader right now, right? Like you can't, <laughs> if, if you come down too hard on him, he's got nowhere to back off to. Yeah. And so he's likelier to do much crazier shit than, than he would if, if you can give him an out, you know? <laughs> so this is a really good point. I think this is really true with kids as well, that you don't want to back kids into a corner. Like if you say to a student, okay, that's it, get out of the classroom. Mm. You've kind of pushed this person into a corner or a mm. corridor or whatever, right? But you, you've not offered that person an out. And I think this is a really important thing, like as you said, with both with world leaders and with <laughs> dealing with seven-year-olds, is to say, yeah, what do you want to do, right? Swap seats with so-and-so, or you can stand out in the corridor. You, you can choose. And the person then has a, mm. a way for them to save face. But I think that's so important. Because, of course, you're always going to have these conflicts in class. So I think it's really important that you find ways of de-escalating these problems. Uh, as we've seen hasn't happened in recent (laughs) weeks with world leaders (laughs) one more time everyone that was matt courtois if you enjoyed that and you'd like to find more episodes with matt then go to our website www.tefeltraininginstitute.com thanks to everyone for listening we'll see you again next time goodbye